And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you. I hope you're having a great day. Love that you're here at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern, on the Raiders mobile app. If you're listening in Vegas on Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. or at lvsportsnetwork.com. Always appreciate it. Appreciate all of our partners, and we'd like you to do business with them as we continue to grow the show. Banner year for us with downloads, people listening, all of the partners we have in this noon to two time slot, and we're trying to make it even better this year. Feels like a new year, but we're already into February, the Super Bowl right around the corner. Looks like we'll be broadcasting from the Super Bowl off of Radio Row, which is, I'm excited about to get back to L.A. I lived in L.A., Sherman Oaks in the Valley for 10 years in between my stints here in Vegas when I moved back here in 2009. So got a lot of friends out in L.A. Uh, hopefully the weather will be great. We'll give you some good programming with Hall of Famers, Raider legends, and we'll see what that looks like here when we have more details coming up on it. Uh, same story today. I'm talking about the AFC and the NFC Championship game with our guest, and we're waiting for Raider news when it becomes relevant. Uh, the news is Todd Bowles in Vegas today for the Raiders interview tomorrow, and the fact that Todd Bowles is a very respected coach in this league, part of the World Championship staff of last year, the Buccaneers, former head coach of the Jets, former longtime coordinator in the league, and he's next up for the interview. I don't know. I'm not privy to anything. If he's higher up than Rich Passaccia or not, where he is, who's coming in next, the Jim Harbaugh rumors. I am in a wait-back-and-sit approach to all of this. I've been doing this 23 years with the team, and I've seen a lot of coaches get hired, a lot. And sometimes it's the last coach you expect. Other times it's obvious, and you just sit back. I'm talking Dennis Allen, Lane Kiffin, Norv Turner, Art Shell, all the coaches that I've seen. Since I've been with the Silver and Black, all of them, and there's always a different story behind everybody. You know what Rich Passaccia means to us and me, interviewing him all year long, think nothing but the best for him. So there's a lot going on. And I think the Raiders are doing a very nice job interviewing candidates when it comes to the GM position. Some are getting interviews because they want to see these gentlemen and what they bring to the table if they're going to be competitors with them down the road. You like to get someone in your building You want to talk to these individuals to see where they're at, learn something about them if they go back to their current team or go to another team. Ian Rappaport, an hour ago, said the Raiders recently conducted a pair of GM interviews. They spoke with Falcons national scout and former Titans GM Rustin Webster, sources said, and they interviewed Steelers pro scouting coordinator Brandon Hunt, courtesy of Tom Palacero. Don't have much to add on that. They're interviewing people. They're getting them into Vegas. They're either getting them there to show them the facility, what they've done, and obviously interview them and try to get knowledge from them as they make the ultimate decision. So this is, you know, I can't can't generate any phone calls because the Raiders interviewed a scout, a national scout from the Falcons and Titans. That's really not going to move the needle in two hours, and I like to move the needle. What we can do is we can talk about the ability of Todd Bowles to be considered for the head coaching position and what that means. And I listened to Clay 
in the morning. I listen to Vinny, Q, when I'm driving around. And every Raider fan in all these different time slots have different opinions. They have differing opinions about not touching the defense, touching the offense, getting an offensive head coach or not. And as I told you, and I think I nailed it a couple of weeks ago after Mike Mayock was let go, that this is going to be very complicated. This is a very complicated couple of weeks at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center because Mark Davis wants to get it right. He always wants to get it right. But this is the biggest decisions that he's making since he's been the owner because John Gruden was hired to take a lot of those decisions and make them on his own. John Gruden was going to take the players. He was going to coach them up. He was going to cut them. He was going to keep them. He was going to recommend to sign them long-term. He had a lot of control. And Mike Mayock and him were a team. Now they don't have that team together anymore. So they're trying to bridge the new team and figure out how a new GM could work with the current coach and Rich Basaccia or if there's another coach, and it's very complicated. On top of the fact that the Raiders have a lot of contracts that they got to figure out going forward, including the quarterback, and they have a lot of players that they have to decide if they're going to give them short-term deals, if they're going to keep them around, or just say goodbye to them. Then they got to get to the senior bowl. Then they got to scout players in college. Then they got to do all these things and get ready for the draft. It is fast moving, and everybody's taking it very seriously. So if you want to add anything on the potential, it's a definite done deal interview that they're having with Todd Bowles and what you believe is a, a real big deal here or not. So that's interesting at this point. You have to look at everything that's happening here and say to yourself, I like this, I'm confused, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense. Whatever you believe is a real deal or not, you're going to have to cut through this. You're going to have to cut through this and figure out if you like this or not. And look, there's a lot of guys who want to come to Vegas for interviews. Uh, The Jim Harbaugh news, there's not much to add to it other than speculation. And what could happen is there are developments coming forward. At the Wolverine.com, defensive coordinator Mike McDonald expected to leave Michigan for the Ravens' D.C. job as they got rid of Wink Martindale. And what does that mean? What does that mean about Michigan and what Harbaugh is thinking going forward with his staff? So as everybody's looking at gossip and information and trying to figure out a way to figure out, hey, this piece makes sense because they're looking at this guy and he's connected to that guy who's connected to this guy. I don't know what the Raiders are going to do. If they're going to have a completely different staff in place, offense and defense, if they're going to leave the defense alone, are they going to keep certain offensive coaches over others? No idea. But we're here to find out, and when it's breaking news, you'll hear it here first on Raider Nation Radio. Okay, so we have that. The AFC Championship game, Cincinnati and Kansas City. I'm assuming, I'm assuming that everyone on Raider Nation Radio is going to root for Cincinnati. Right, Cincinnati beat the Raiders twice this year. If they go to the Super Bowl, does that make you feel better or worse? I don't know. It makes me feel better because I think the Raiders were good enough to beat Cincinnati. And if Cincinnati can get to the Super Bowl through the AFC in that gauntlet and the Raiders almost beat them twice, you would think that the Raiders are pretty close to Cincinnati and Cincinnati's going to the Super Bowl. We know that the Raiders made no headway this year with Kansas City. None. Anybody who thought they were making headway, including the coaches and the fans, they made none. They got blown out twice. So we don't want to see Kansas City win another Super Bowl. We don't. We want them to be a team that just won one, and everybody's scratching their head going, how come they only won one? Instead of saying, well, they won three out of five. 
That's what the Warriors did. And I was there to cover the Warriors in the Bay Area and here. And the Warriors could have won five in a row, should have won four out of five, and they ended up winning three out of five. And that's enough to be a dynasty over that period of time. And they had great players. They had Kevin Durant. They had Steph Curry. They had Klay Thompson, the big three, and Draymond Green. Reminds me of the Kansas City Chiefs with their big three. And if you want to add Tyron Matthew and you want to add in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and clearly Patrick Mahomes, this is a team that could get the train back on track very quickly and have a chance at a dynasty, winning three out of five. got to have three. You've got to have three to win to be a dynasty. So Kansas City's not a dynasty, but if they win this second in a short period of time, people are going to look around and go, whoa, if they stack another one and another one after that, starting to look like the Cowboys, maybe in the 90s, or some really good teams. I won't compare them to the Patriots. They did it over a much longer period of time. So are you with me in rooting against Kansas City? That's one of the topics that I want to get to today before the weekend. We're pretty buried the next couple of days. On Friday, a short show for me. I'm emceeing an event for the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium. So I got to know right now today how much of your passion is to root against Kansas City. How much are you hoping when you get together at a viewing party this weekend, get together, have people over the house, that you're really passionate about rooting against the Chiefs? Because if you're not, that's concerning to me. Remember, one of the goals that we have here is we're building a new audience in a new NFL market. And a lot of fans are deciding and becoming Raider fans. Well, I think it's great that some of our great old school callers would remind these new fans in Vegas to root against Kansas City at all costs. There's going to be pool parties this week and at Stadium Swim. The Westgate's going to be packed. Casinos and bars and lounges are going to be packed in Las Vegas watching the Kansas City Chiefs. That truly bothers me at the highest level. Cincinnati doesn't bother me. I mean, Cincinnati is Cincinnati. If they win, everybody will pat them on the back. It'll be the first time. It's not the end of the world. But we should be rooting for Cincinnati to slow down Kansas City. Just slow them down and take another chance away of them winning a Super Bowl. On the NFC side, and I saved that for last because that game's really compelling to me, I know a lot of Raider fans despise the Niner fans. And I know a lot of Raider fans. I know more Raider fans that root against the 49ers, maybe even than Kansas City. And that's an interesting topic that I'd want to get to here in the monologue. How much do you hope that the Niners lose this game? And the Rams is another team I don't care much about. The Rams went all in by going out and getting a lot of free agents and veteran players to try to win now. If they do, you tip your cap to them. Rams haven't won in a long time. When you think of L.A., they won a championship with Kurt Warner in St. Louis, but that's not another team, the Rams organization, that is comparable, I believe, to the Raiders and the history of Al Davis playing in five Super Bowls and winning three. But they built the new stadium. They beat the Raiders down to Carson in L.A., I don't know, unless you tell me who you're picking in this game. I'd like to see the 49ers get beat just for all the Raider fans that I know that don't want to have to deal with 49er fans all of a sudden telling you they're back again. So if the Super Bowl was Cincinnati versus the Rams, I don't think that moved the needle much. I don't think that's going to break the all-time ratings. I don't think people are going to love it a lot, but it's going to be a lot easier on the Raider Nation because Raider fans want to see San Francisco and Kansas City with the Super Bowl bye week. Two weeks of coverage of us sitting in L.A. for a week talking Niner football and Kansas City football. You got me there? Am I on to something or not? 702-365-9200.
9,200. All right, the other topic I want to get into the monologue here is David Ortiz getting inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was the lone player elected last night. I was on the radio last night, and it was nuts. It was nuts. He was elected with 77.9% of the vote in his first year in eligibility. The notable players not inducted in their last year of eligibility included Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Barry Bonds. Players are elected by eligible members of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and they have to be named on 75% of the ballots in order to receive a spot in the Hall of Fame. So I did this show last night. I'm all prepped up. And I'm just going to give you my opinion on this because you should all have an opinion on this. This is our oldest sport, America's pastime, baseball. I would say 99% of the people listening to me now play the Little League, have a baseball team, coach T-ball. You know baseball. I know you know baseball. And Las Vegas, where I'm based, is a very big baseball town. So here's where I stand on this. The Baseball Hall of Fame is the most difficult Hall of Fame to get into. They have the strictest requirements. And there are bad guys in the Hall of Fame who are involved in domestic violence and did some bad things over the years. But it's the job of the Baseball Writers Association of America to keep players out. This is not the Hall of Very, Very Good. It's the Hall of Fame. And a lot of people now are getting tripped up by the word fame. Is the Hall of Fame a museum? Well, yeah, part of it's a museum. But you can't get into the museum as a player unless you're great. You can't be very, very good. So guys like Dale Murphy and Steve Garvey and great players are not in the Hall of Fame because for whatever reason, they're the guy. They're the guy that's close but can't get in. And those are the people that we should be debating. But what's happened over the last 20 years is we're debating the steroid era of baseball and who cheated or not. Because cheating in baseball has everything to do with the Hall of Fame. If you didn't cheat in baseball... There's a really, really damn good chance you're not getting into the Hall of Fame. If you don't put up Hall of Fame numbers and you're not a Hall of Famer, the only rational way for some of these guys to get into the Hall of Fame was cheating. That's it. So when I look at guys who were, you know, backup second basemen in the minor leagues in double A ball, and they took steroids or performance enhancing drugs to get out of minor leagues to get into the major leagues and maybe make a contract and achieve their goals, I look at that player differently than a player who was very good but then took performance-enhancing drugs and became a Hall of Famer. And that's exactly the case of Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds would have been a Hall of Famer if he didn't inject performance-enhancing drugs, if he didn't get involved with Balco, if he didn't get involved with the clear and the cream, everything that we all agree he was a part of. No one's sitting here debating like they are with David Ortiz, who was on the Mitchell report and didn't fail a steroid test. You couldn't connect him directly to a steroid dealer or a dirty clubhouse. It wasn't easy to connect the dots. You really had to connect the dots. Mark McGuire was very easy, and then he finally admitted it. A-Rod got thrown out of baseball, lied to Katie Couric on 60 Minutes, finally admitted it. But Barry Bonds never admitted it, and everybody knew he cheated. And he, the reason why Bonds never admitted it was it was very simple. He knew if he admitted it, he'd be out. Right? So Pete Rose, my good friend for decades, did not admit to gambling on baseball because he knew if he did, he denied, denied, denied. He knew once he admitted it, he'd never get in. 
And then finally he admitted it. He tied it to a book. He made some mistakes along the way. And he knew he was done. That's why people don't get the story, and I know it well. People deny it because once you deny it, if you cheat on your wife or your husband, your spouse, you cheat on your taxes, if you deny it and you've never, it's, you've never been proven that you did it, deny, deny, deny. Because you can look everybody in the face and say, I didn't do it, prove it. And if they can't prove it, you're done. It was very easy to prove that Barry Bonds abused performance-enhancing drugs. He had the most to gain. Everybody also is also missing that fact. Everybody who says, well, Bonds would have been a Hall of Famer without it, that's not part of the conversation. He did it. So it's not without it. And if Bonds never took performance-enhancing drugs, he never would have passed Willie Mays as godfather. He never would have got close to Henry Aaron. And that's the whole point. The player that had the most to gain by cheating was the most flawed of all of them because of jealousy. You see, I read the book Game of Shadows twice. Some people haven't read it once. And it breaks down everything about the steroid era and cheating, including Bonds. Barry Bonds got jealous because of the home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. That is an ego issue. He could not stand... He was jealous of McGuire and Sosa because they were getting all the press during their home run race, which is easy to understand why. I get jealous. I get jealous of a less talented guy doing more than me or this or that. But you've got to be able to rein it in. You've got to be able to control your jealousy in life. Bonds couldn't do it. So Bonds decided to chase those guys and become more famous, make more money, and have bigger stats by taking performance-enhancing drugs. No debate. And every Giant fan who watched every game, as they were eating Gilroy garlic fries, and they were drinking a local brew up there at that beautiful ballpark as the ball was sailing into the water, and Bonds had muscles coming out of his neck and a new helmet size, and he was in rage most of the time dealing with the media. All knew he was on steroids. But no one cared because everybody wanted to eat their Gilroy garlic fries and watch home runs splash in the water and do a standing ovation because they were living in the moment. I don't blame fans for that. I did the same thing with the Yankees and Alex Rodriguez. 2009, A-Rod was putting up numbers. Turned out he was a steroid cheat. I got involved with it as a Yankee fan. I wanted them to win. It doesn't matter if they won those games. What matters is are they inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And the writers are aware of this because you've got to be a 10-year writer to gain that notoriety to have a vote. And most of those voters are very smart. They're educated on the history of the game, and their job is to keep people out who are not Hall of Famers, not let people in because they think the museum needs a new exhibit. It's not about that. So people are debating today, well, it's a museum. They should have it there. Well, they do. It is a museum. They have Pete Rose's bat. He's not allowed in the Hall of Fame as a player. So to sum this up again, this is a massive topic in sports radio. It really is one of the biggest. You could tie Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Clemens. Kurt Schilling fell prey to Twitter and politics. I explained this last night on my show. I've known a lot of good people over the last five or six years, really good people that became deranged politically because of COVID, the switch from one president to another, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever it is, they became lunatics. They, their lives were changed by social media and television to the fact that they became someone they were not. And that's what happened to Kurt Schilling. He got triggered with politics, started tweeting a whole bunch of stuff, and the baseball writers were like, this guy's nuts. 
I think he's a Hall of Famer. So to wrap up this topic, I'll say this. No one gets into the Hall of Fame who cheated unless you get Pete Rose in first. Pete's apologized the longest. He never bet as a player. He'd only go in as a player, not a manager. He did everything wrong. He broke the cardinal rule, which is gambling. As a manager, again, not a player, he's not in. The steroid guys aren't getting in. That doesn't mean that one or two of the guys could sneak in. Possibly David Ortiz, Mike Piazza, Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah, there's guys in the Hall of Fame that have cheated. But no one cheated more than Barry Bonds. He had the most to gain. He couldn't sit there with 530 home runs. 562. He had to hug his godfather, Willie Mays, at home plate, and he had to make it so uncomfortable for Henry Aaron that Henry Aaron knew he was a cheat. Henry Aaron did it the right way. Henry Aaron started in the Negro Leagues, and Henry Aaron had to put up a video on the scoreboard at then Pac Bell Park congratulating Barry Bonds, something he didn't want to do. Bonds had the most to gain. He was the biggest cheater because he had the most fame, money, and stats to gain. And they're keeping him out of the Hall of Fame. So if you want to forgive everybody and let them in, I got the, I got the great answer to all this, this conundrum. Let them all in. But make sure on their bronze plaque, you have a little asterisk. Just a little asterisk on the bottom that any little boy or girl can see. And it explains that they cheated the game. They were involved in steroids. They took performance-enhancing drugs. They gambled, whatever they did. And just put it on their plaque. And then let them in. But baseball's not going to do that. And it's my job to dip the show in reality every day. Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame. He lost his eligibility because it was obvious he stained the game by breaking records he never would have obtained without performance-enhancing drugs. Anybody who can't come to the realization of that fascinates me. You could still want him in. You could have sympathy for him. But that doesn't mean he deserves to get in. Your thoughts on the monologue, 702-365-9200, as we open up the show. And again, your opinion could be completely different than mine on this, and I'll respect the hell out of it. A couple of good guests coming up a little bit later on in the show as we open it up. Uh, let me start off with Dark Side Don in Vegas on 920. Hello, Don. Hey, what's going on, JT? How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for calling. All right, first and foremost, if you got to ask a Raider fan, who he's cheering for out of the Bengals and, 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 and the Chiefs, I'm a question that rated them. It's impossible to not, uh, to, to, to not be cheering for the Bengals, even if we did. Yes. It, that, that's just impossible. I can't even fathom the imagination of that. It's go, it just takes me back to when New England and, and, and Kansas City was, was battling it out, and I had people telling me, well, I'm going to cheer for, 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 the, for the Chiefs because I don't want to see Brady – win another ring because of tuck rule i don't okay i'm pissed about tuck rule too but uh i don't like the chiefs so i'm never gonna mm-hmm. cheer for the chiefs so that's that's a conundrum in and of itself um i didn't even watch the the, the super bowl with kansas city and and and, and the niners that's the mm-hmm. only super bowl in my life that i've never watched i didn't watch it didn't pay attention to it couldn't care less who won um that's in saying that as far as the bonds thing you know um I, I witnessed it, just like I'm pretty sure most of the callers that's going to call in witnessed it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that was an error in football. Um, I agree that that error and anybody that gets in or, or should get in in that era should have an asterisk. But, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like what I, I, I heard on, on another show, and I agree, 
you can't take that error away. No. So if you can't if you can't take that error away, that error doesn't erase itself out of baseball history. And there are great players that was in that time frame. Those players, I believe, should 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 at least get in, but have that asterisk. This is during okay. a time where where the you know the league was going through some things, um, and and we gotta we gotta keep that we have to record that those issues. But these players were still you know, worthy of being in the fame. But not all of them were cheating. Not all. Derek Jeter wasn't. Mariano Rivera. There were plenty of, hold on. There were plenty of players, Greg Maddox, friend of the show, who were not cheating and gained entrance into the Hall of Fame. So they did not cheat. And and that's why they were rewarded by getting into Cooperstown, New York, in the Hall of Fame because they didn't cheat and never considered it. And the ones who cheated this is the penalty phase. We didn't hold back Barry Bonds' money. We didn't take away his memorabilia when he was selling his socks and his jerseys. I know guys who were in the locker room. Bonds would take off his jersey, his pants, his socks, his wristband, and put it in a giant bag, clear see-through bag. They'd mark it on the date and seal it so he could put it in a storage unit and sell it and make money. He was being rewarded for steroid home runs in the six and seven hundreds while he was tre- uh, uh, while he was cheating and financially making money on that. That was his reward for cheating. The reward is in Cooperstown, New York. Okay, I I, I can see your point of view on that. My 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 two favorite baseball players was Puckett and Griffin. So mm-hmm. both of them, you know, one of them, you know, people have a have a have a comment about, but. They both are in, you know, so I, I can see your point in that. I just, I believe that that's a part of history. These records were okay. broken due to, due to, due to the, the, the steroid use, and that should be dated. That should be, that should be, okay. that should be recorded. We agree. And that's, that's my, that's my Okay, thank you for the call. I appreciate it very much. And Kirby Puckett, and when you look at his number being retired and all the awards he won. And there's another conversation. When Roberto Clemente played in Al Kaline, and Carl Yaskramski and Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, there were no steroids. There were no steroids. And they didn't have to face middle relievers and pre-closers and the closers. And there were different styles and all that. All, all I'll just leave you on this, and we'll come back and talk about this. 702-365-9200. Imagine being a baseball player in 99, 2000, 2001, going on the road, checking into a hotel in San Diego, locking the door, putting on Do Not Disturb, going into the bathroom, locking the bathroom door, and then opening up your steroids and your needle and injecting the needle into your ass and then going to the gym and working out and getting bigger and stronger so you could put up better numbers in the hopes of getting into the Hall of Fame. You're not getting rewarded for that by these writers. These writers have traveled on the road. They're they're in the dugout. They're in the clubhouse. They're not going to do that. They're just not. They're not going to do it. And they they made Clemens... And they made Bonds wait it out for 10 years. They teased them. They basically said, you're not getting in, but maybe you'll have some hope. And they shut the door on them. And maybe the Veterans Committee down the road will open up the door. Or they'll have a new commissioner and baseball will change again. That's the monologue. When we're talking about the Hall of Fame, I like to do it with a Remy Martin cocktail in my hand. Can't do it noon to two. But on the weekend, we can. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. More on the Raiders coaching search. Andrew Brandt will join us. One of the smartest guys I interview once a month. Uh, The former Packer executive. On the road to Aaron Rodgers possibly leaving Green Bay. And where could he show up out west?
An armada of nautical craft gathered in the Cubby Cove beyond the right field wall. Bonds one home run away from history. And he swings! And there's an old one deep in the right center field. Way back there. It's gone! A home run! Into the center field reaches to the left of the 421-foot marker. An extraordinary shot to the deepest part of the yard. And Barry Bonds, with 756 home runs, he has hit more home runs than anyone who has ever played the game. John Miller on the call, Giants radio back in the day. Barry Bonds was the most exciting player I've ever seen. Ricky Henderson, uh, my hero, Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson. Uh, Bonds was the best overall player I've ever seen, I've ever seen live, but there's no way he would have hit 756 without performance-enhancing drugs, and that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame. That's the only reason. 756, not cheating. You're the greatest player of all time. They name stadiums after you and streets after you, and you're an icon. You're on TV all the time. Bonds has been in hiding pretty much ever since. We get a chance to see Barry here in Vegas. He's in Vegas often. I bumped into Barry. You see him in restaurants. So back in the day at the Palms, he was always there when the Palms was flourishing. But uh, this is the penalty phase for Bonds and McGuire and Sosa. And how did, De- how did David Ortiz get in? David Ortiz went from being a nobody in Minnesota to a somebody, and he got in because he was clutch. And he was on the Mitchell Report, and there's a pretty good chance, I believe, he was involved in performance-enhancing drugs with the improvement of his game so dramatically. But it wasn't as easy to connect the dots. He was much more likable, and that's what makes this whole whole system flawed. I, I admit it's a flawed system. I'm just telling you why it's flawed and what the writers are thinking. I don't have a vote. If I had a vote, I'd keep Bonds out. But I would let him in if you had something with an asterisk and him admitting it and putting him in a museum that way. I've said that to Pete Rose many times in all my interviews with him, that if Pete admits that he gambled on the game as a manager, put him in. But you have to admit it, and it has to be on the plaque, and you have to acknowledge it. And we don't get any acknowledgement from Bonds. Andrew Brandt coming up in a moment. Always look forward to our conversations Raider Bull, thanks for holding here on the flagship. Go ahead. Thank you, JT. How you doing today? I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Yeah, I just want to make make mention. You mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs had one Super Bowl win. Well, actually, they have two. No, they have two, Super Bowl four, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why. I, that's all I wanted, wanted to mention. That score was uh, 23-7. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I ever rooted for the Chiefs because it was an AFL NFL thing, and I mm-hmm. was an AFL man. So that's all I wanted to say, JT. But you're rooting for thing. you're rooting for Cincinnati hard over the Chiefs in this game, hard. I am, I am, real hard. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. JT. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I, I thought the Raiders would look. That's a classic call of a guy correcting me. I meant Kansas City's won one recent Super Bowl, but they have two total, and we'd like to keep them away from the three of the silver and black. Opens up a phone line for you, seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. Andrew Brandt, the executive director of the Morad Center at Villanova. Uh, I love everything he does with his podcast, The Business of Sports. And former Packer executive joins us on Raider Nation Radio. Andrew, thanks for doing this. And I want to begin with your obvious level of shock or amazement on how the Packers had their struggles at home and lost coming up their bye week. Yeah, JT, first and foremost, I'm a fan of the Packers. Get beyond the business side of it. I, Ten years there is hard to shake in terms of being, knowing all the people in the front office and the 
strength staff and the security staff, the equipment staff, the trainers, and a couple players like a guy I know we'll talk about at quarterback, Mason Crosby, a few others. So, and my kids grew up there. So it was hard as a fan because you, sometimes you think you just have the team. And I felt this when I was with the Packers a couple times where we just had the team to win it all. You know, the best quarterback, the best receiver, a much improved defense over the years. The team having home field advantage against a team from California in sub-zero temperatures with fans this year. So I'm disappointed. I'm shocked. I feel this resignation that I felt a few times with the Packers. These extraordinary regular seasons that end in disappointment, and I know so many fans share that. Yeah, what just surprised me is the lack of aggressive play. I think between LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, the ability to change out of plays, be more aggressive, and just try to play with a bigger lead instead of letting the Niners hang around. And the Niners are good at that. they got a good pass rush. They like to run the ball. When you looked at the game again and you watched it, were you surprised at some of the formations, him locked in with Devontae, and the fact that the ball didn't get out quickly and it wasn't spread around as much as it was in the regular season? Yeah, it's all confidence, and it just seemed like the confidence got a little tighter during the biggest game because you're going to go to your go-to guys, which are Aaron Jones and, of course, Devontae Adams, and really sprinkled out. And, and when Mercedes Lewis has been such a rock for this team, I think when he fumbled early, and I know they didn't mm-hmm. take advantage of that fumble and for points, but I think it made a difference in psyche in going to players not named Devontae. Uh, I think that was a big moment in that game. Andrew, I wanted to, Andrew Brandt's our guest. I wanted to talk about being humble. You're a humble guy. You've been very successful. And you know Aaron Rodgers well. He did a lot of media this year, and a lot of people were polarized by him for his vaccination, lack of participation, being immunized, his philosophy, what he said with Joe Rogan. And, and that would polarize any athlete who did it. Do you believe if he comes back that he has to be more humble in his return? or he could be as aggressive as he was with the media, talk as much, and have varying dip political opinions going forward. What do, you, what do you think the Packer fans want to see from him? Well, let me speak personally, JT, and I am a, I've known him since the 2005 draft, and I want everyone to just, if you can, I know it's mm-hmm. hard, if you just can put aside the political stuff and the vaccine stuff, I don't know if we've ever seen a more thoughtful athlete in terms of media mm-hmm. as, as Aaron with the Pat McAfee show. There's nobody that's done that, as far as I can remember, that's had free-flowing, non-timed interviews every week that aren't just press conferences that really get into the psyche. He's got a book club. He talks about this. He talks about that. If we can just put aside the content of stuff that gets people crazy, and I get it. I'm a fan of the way he's thoughtful, the way he talks about teammates, the way he talks very honestly about his own team, which very few players do. What got him in trouble was veering off into topics that made him seem obviously polarizing, but also, as you said, self-centered. And, of course, if I was advising him, I'd say to stay away from that and pick other ways to do that in a team concept. But I don't think, you know, I think we're a forgiving public with sports Mm -hmm. fans. I think if he comes back to Green Bay or 
they're going to be very forgiving of all that. They may not like his stance on things. Some people may like his stance on things, but they understand the player and they understand, you know, he hasn't hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. He's just expressing his thoughts. Andrew Brandt joins us. Andrew, knowing the Packer organization as well as you do, you know, a lot of people, it seems like they're all on the same page to want him back. Is is that Should that be obvious to everyone? This is a man who can win another MVP, rightfully so, and gives them the best chance to win. But have you ever sensed within the organization any comparison to Favre that on the back end of a career, and I think he's got two or three great years left, that there would be some people in the organization that would want to go in a different direction? Well, you think everybody's locked in to the point where they're going to have to go through this show again and make it clear to them that they want him back desperately. Well, there's the, you know, this is the key question. And JT, I've been, I've been pretty uh, Mm -hmm. taking a hard stance on this since draft day, 2022. My stance has been, they're going to make a separation. They're going to have a transition to Jordan love this year. And I know a lot of people were saying, well, he wasn't going to come back last year. Well, of course, he had no options last year. Love wasn't ready. They weren't ready to play Love. And, of course, the Packers weren't trading him, so he was going to be back. And I said that throughout all the hype about him not wanting to be back. I just feel this way. You know, 17 years ago, we take Aaron, and we did keep him on the bench for three years. Absolutely, we did that. But I just think that's a different time and place. Nobody has sat more than a year, like except Jordan Love. Nobody has sat. Mahomes sat a year. Trey Lance sat a year. Nobody sat more than that. Everyone's playing first-round quarterbacks, at least, by midseason, first year. And I just feel like that's been the plan. I know Packers won't say it, but I feel like that's been the plan. And I feel even more solid about it in the fact that, you know, Aaron's got still some issues with the team. I don't think all of that's resolved from last year. And the team has a commitment, a commitment to a first-round quarterback. Now, everyone can say, well, let's you know wait another year. But if we wait another year, it's a total lame duck. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we have, maybe, where Aaron's just keeping the seat warm for Jordan Love. And if I'm Aaron, I'm like, why do I want to do that? Now, the only thing that changes that is if they do some kind of hard and fast commitment to Aaron Rodgers for more than and say Jordan Love, basically saying we we're wasting the Jordan Love pick. I just don't see that happening. Wrapping it up with Andrew Brandt, who's fantastic. His Sunday 7 newsletter is a mainstay for me, uh, not only for Sunday night radio, but everything I do during the week. Andrew, uh, finally, I look at the sport and, and where the sport is, and I see Sean Payton want to step out for television potentially. But I also know that other owners would love to have him. He can change an organization quickly by not only being the head coach, but coaching up the quarterback and stabilizing a front office that maybe has been a little bit shaky and looking to hire a GM. What do you think the best scenario is now for Sean Payton and an owner who's saying, he just told the Benson family he's out. He's still under contract, but maybe that was the way for him to open the door and say, I want to come to a new team. you got to go get me. you got to go trade for me. What are the complexities of that contract and him moving over to coach somewhere else? Well, I'm glad you did point out that some people are even – 
putting that aside, that he is under contract to 2024. Right. You would have to trade for him. He's not just going to jump to the Cowboys right now without a massive trade. And you just pointed out all the reasons why if he leaves, they could get a bounty of picks for him, maybe even players, because of that value that he has. I'm going to take him at his word that he's going to do other things this year with probably TV. Uh, but I, I think we're all kind of feeling like, okay, 2023, he's going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that could very well be the Cowboys, depending on how they do. But this is something that, you know, is not is pretty uh, uh, not a great kept secret around the league, that he wanted to step away. Uh, maybe seeing all the cap kick the can cap stuff that they've done the past few years we're hitting a day of reckoning for that team not they're not solidified at the quarterback even though he does believe in Taysom Hill um so yeah this was not a huge surprise to anyone in the league Andrew last one you've been in the meetings what happens when an owner is interviewing a GM who is in that room what are the different questions that are asked compared to putting a coach on a whiteboard how thorough does a GM candidate have to be coming in, addressing an owner in an organization that he doesn't work for if he's getting bombarded with questions? What's that like? Yeah, some of it is, you know, I see a lot of these GM uh, hirings are taking their time and interviewing a lot of people. Frankly, that's smart on the team. They're, they're picking the brain, like, how, did, how do they do it in Cleveland? How do they do it in New England? How do they do it in Detroit? How do they do it with Carolina? I mean, you're finding out a lot about these other teams. But you're asking a lot about philosophy. You know, again, I come from a team Packers very draft and develop. Other teams more aggressive in free agency. How do you handle the cap? How are you feeling about pushing out cap room like they've done in New Orleans and other teams versus a more pay-as-you-go approach? And what has been your track record in terms of bringing in talent, not only with draft picks at the high rounds, but especially the low rounds and free agents? And what has been your history with retaining those players through contracts or letting them go to free agency and why? And do you let them go in free agency a year too early or a year too late? All those kind of things uh, go into picking a GM. At Andrew Brandt on social media, fantastic. Look forward to talking to you either before or after the Super Bowl, Andrew. Always appreciate your analysis. All the best to you in the new year here. Thanks, JT. And then. Yeah, like you said, I appreciate it. It's at andrew-brandt.com is how you sign up for it. Fantastic. The tweet's going out. There he is, Andrew Brandt, everybody. Fantastic. Sharp mind. Uh, someone can talk on many topics. And he still believes, you know, that bridge is going to happen with Jordan Love from Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't seem to want that. I keep saying, and I've said it all week, that he's got to be more humble. That Aaron Rodgers can talk about it. And he was right. He can go on the Pat McAfee show for 25 minutes. He does press conferences. He is very available with his time. He is available for his time for the media. And that's what we like in the media. We like when people are available with their time and they're gracious. He's very good at that. But he was very polarizing this year. And a lot of owners and the Packers are owned by their fans. The way the structure of that organization is, he's very tiring. And he was very tiring to that organization. And I think he could be fresh somewhere else. And I think a new organization, a new owner, and a new structure would be great for him because he can't beat Jimmy Garoppolo. He might as well try somewhere else. If he goes back there next year, I don't think anybody's going to say, watch out, the Packers are going to the Super Bowl. 
We've seen this movie too many times. He can't beat Jimmy Garoppolo. He should try somewhere else. And new Jimmy Garoppolo news. Ian Rappaport reporting. The 49ers have taken Jimmy Garoppolo off sprained shoulder off the injury report. Though his thumb remains. He'll be limited today, but good injury news. Also, the Niners have activated wide receiver Mohamed Sanu from injured reserve. Your phone calls at 702-365-9200. Jim Caldwell, respected coach in the league, had a chance as a head coach, went back to coordinator. Could he be landing a job real quickly here? The carousel's moving. It's been slower than expected. I think the Raiders and a GM will come together soon. There's no really rush for me to uh, to figure out what's next. You know, I'll know when I know, and um, it's to, it's a day after the season. So, Tom Brady, his decision coming, he'll take his time too. Like Aaron Rodgers, I both expect him to take a while and both come back. Aaron Rodgers, most likely somewhere else. Could Denver be the front runner? Absolutely. And then Tom Brady, I would assume, would go back to Tampa Bay. His teammates are there. The offensive line he's used to, the protection, everything he has there with or without Gronk, and the receivers that they have and the great young defensive players. You're going to come back. You go back to Tampa. But remember a couple of years ago at that UFC fight when Tom Brady bumped into Mark Davis on the floor? Right there outside the octagon, I believe, with Marcel Reese, and it made the papers, and people were talking about is Brady available? Brady was available to everybody. And the only people that chose to get him and went really hard was Tampa. They got a Super Bowl and a deep, deep playoff run back-to-back years. That deal worked out brilliantly for Tampa Bay. And the team that goes after Aaron Rodgers has got to think the same thing. Because Rodgers is significantly younger than Brady and might have beat him out this year for the MVP again. So it's compelling that two quarterbacks, we think Brady for sure goes to Tampa, but Rodgers could be going somewhere else. Allen and, uh, excuse me, Passionate Raider, you're up before the top of the hour. Go ahead. Thanks for calling. What's up, JT? Hey, um, my my, my favorite player in baseball, man, was always Ricky Henderson, man. I was always a Ricky Henderson guy, man. Just thought do it. But my thing on, on, on the Hall of Fame, JT, is if you cheat, there's no questions that you're out. You know the rules. You know the name of the game. You cheat, you're done. What are we gonna? What are our kids thinking if we say, "Oh yeah, this guy, he's going, but but he cheated." It just if you cheat, you're done. And on the Chiefs in the in the Forty Niners, JT, I'm in Illinois, man. I live around nothing but Bears fans, so I understand the Bay Area fight with the Niners and the Raiders. But I'm a Bears and a and a Raider fight down here, so I, I kind of I like Debo, man, and I really like Kittle, man. So it, it's and I want to see the Rams just get straight by trying to put together a dream team and going out and win it throughout the year. So I'm kind of hoping the 49ers can knock them off. But, hey, JT, I ain't never – I'm always repping and never half-stepping. Raiders till I die, buddy. Thanks for taking my call. Have a great day. Appreciate the call there. And, and Niners, if Debo Samuel's a great player to watch. Talk about the evolution of a football player. We've seen recent great superhuman athletes in football. Darren Waller, one of them. Waller, mind-blowing to see him at field level, at practice, on the field, the size of him and the grace of his athletic ability. Then Debo comes around, and you look at him lining up 
He looks like he's bigger than Leonard Fournette as a running back. He looks like he's as big as Dez Bryant T.O. as a receiver. And he's running some kind of Tyreek Hill stuff that I didn't see a lot of people run. Tyreek Hill, we got Renfro here in Vegas. He's not as fast as Tyreek Hill, but he's got moves. That gets him open very quickly into the open field. Tyreek Hill gets it. He gets it 13 yards. He could take it 64. Hunter doesn't have that speed, but he can make everybody miss along the journey. Raiders got to build with a new GM around Hunter Renfro. Those assuming it will be Carr, great. I think Carr deserves to be back. He is a very good, solid, big-time quarterback in this league. But Renfro emerged, along with Waller, as two guys that you can build an entire offense around. And it took Edelman a while for that. He got to that status. Cooper Cup has it now. Why not more on Renfro? 100 receptions, 1,000 yards, get him up to double-digit touchdowns. That's a guy early, early in his career you can build a passing offense around. Hour number two on deck, Chris Myers coming up in a little bit.